Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. So glad that you joined us. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, let's start with a quote from the great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Quote, the refusal to take sides on great moral issues is itself a decision. It is a silent acquiescence to evil. The tragedy of our time is that those who still believe in honesty lack fire and conviction, while those who believe in dishonesty are full of passionate conviction, end quote. Boy, it seems like uh, the, the good archbishop, he is among us right now. And it's really true, actually, when you think of the church triumphant in heaven. And I do believe that Archbishop Sheen is in heaven. He's uh, been declared venerable and he's here to help us and intercede for us before the throne of God. And he's still got these great insights that are so applicable to today. And we talk a little bit about uh, all the truth and the lies and what uh, what is black and white. It's just there's so much going on in the world and it can be very confusing even for us Catholics that are trying to live life in a state of grace. And that's why I had to track down our good friend Charles Coulomb to uh, set the record straight on a few things. And of course, we have some laughs in between. Uh, Charles, uh, as, as great of a historian he is and a commentator, he's got such a, a great sense of humor too. And uh, certainly, uh, even in the face of adversity like we are facing in this world today, we need to have a good chuckle and a laugh every now and then as well. So uh, really glad that uh, Charles agreed to come on and join us. He's got a new show coming up as well on Virgin Most Powerful Radio that, uh, that's really exciting coming up this fall. And uh, we talk about a, a variety of issues and a lot of it tying to Canada here. We're going through a lot of ups and downs. Um, we've talked about the, the papal visit here. Uh, the last several episodes. And um, again, you know, my wish personally is I hope that our our indigenous brothers and sisters, particularly the ones that belong to the Catholic Church, our, our, our baptized brothers and sisters, that um, they got some, some spiritual edification out of this. Uh, I hope that they can move on. I know a lot have moved on already, and uh, which is great. And, um, you know, they're really needed in our church and they're loved in our church and wanted in our church. But again, we've got these nefarious forces that seem to uh, follow us around and, uh, uh, you know, apologies aren't enough. Money's not enough. Uh, I don't know what's going to be enough. So very frustrating and uh, confusing times for a lot of people in our church. But I think we need some clarity and we're on this road of truth and reconciliation. How many times have we got to say this? It's a two-way street. So I think we've gone through the reconciliation phase here. We've been working on that for a long time, for decades now. Now it's time to come up with the truth. And uh, a lot of people, especially on the other side, that are not friends of the Catholic Church, do not want to confront the truth. And uh, I think uh, it's a real, it's an obligation for all of us Catholics to to dig to the bottom and not take things at face value, especially from legacy media. So let's, uh, let's journey together there. Let's keep praying and discerning. And, um, you know, we owe it not only to ourselves and our, our family and our parishes, but our whole Catholic Church that the truth comes out and that narratives, especially the false narratives, the malicious narratives, they get exposed and we hammer them. And that's just, that's just justice. That's just the way it goes in the church. And we have got to have courage to stand up for what is right and what is true. So to help us get to the bottom of what is the truth, we know it is, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And that should be all that's, uh, that's enough for us, right? The cross of Jesus Christ and living the sacramental life. So here to help us understand that, our good friend Charles Coulomb. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. 
Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Charles Coulomb is an author, commentator, contributor to many fine sites like 1 Peter 5, Crisis Magazine, The European Conservative, and co-hosts the Off the Menu podcast with Vincent Frankini. And he's back to chat with all his friends in Canada. Welcome back to the podcast, Sir Charles. Thank you. It's great to be back. The uh, the Grand Dominion to the North. Thanks. Uh, it's it's I don't know if it's grand, but it's uh, is the Dominion now. A lot of people don't know that, but it's still uh, it's been a while since we've called it the Dominion. But uh, it was Dominion Day at one time, right, Charles? Not Canada. Yes, Day. July first, the day my father died. I can never forget Dominion Day. Yeah, back in and, simpler uh, times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's also the uh, the feast of the precious blood and the feast of yes. Saint Junipero Serra. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that uh, combination with uh, Saint Junipero Serra either. That's awesome. I don't know if I ever yeah. told you, but we actually we took the kids on a vacation and kind of stumbled ap- across his tomb. Um, help me out with the name. It's out by Monterey, California. Carmel. Uh, Carmel. Carmel by the Sea, right? Yeah. And it was a fantastic uh, place of uh, of worship and, and just a great place uh, to, to find out the, the true history of uh, what happened in California. A lot of that is similar to what's happened in Canada. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with Charles for sure, but First and foremost, some real exciting news on your side, Charles, and we have a lot of fans of Virgin Most Powerful Radio that listen to our podcast from across Canada and the United States, and we've had uh, a few of their uh, uh, personalities and hosts on our our podcast before, including Ruben Nava and Matthew Arnold, but uh, you're going to have a show coming up on Virgin Most Powerful in the fall, so maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, indeed, indeed I am. It's going to deal with triumphs and uh, and defeats in catholic history each episode will deal with one or the other uh things like the uh the siege of constantinople or the the famous robbers synod uh, not robbers synod uh, the cadavers synod which is a famous element of papal history that everyone's heard of but they don't know the deeper repercussions um a lot of a lot of things like that. Uh, Lepanto, of course, uh, will we'll deal will deal with a smorgasbord of Catholic history from the time of Christ until the present. And with any luck, we'll shine a few more lights in the darkness. Well, no shortage of topics. I'm thinking there. <laughs> what, no, what? It, it's an endless endless supply. Why is it so important for Catholics to learn about the history of the church? Well, for a number of reasons. Firstly, just as with history in general, you can't know where you are if you don't know where you've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, history is the working out of the divine will in time against a background of innumerable free and fallen wills, i.e. you and me. His will will always be accomplished one way or the other. But the question for each of us as individuals is, do we go along with that or do we fight it? And that has been the choice that every individual has had to make since Adam and Eve. And we'll continue until uh, he draws the whole uh, the whole thing to an end. Uh, and history is that saga. It has a lot of lessons to teach us. Uh, one thing you learn is since human nature doesn't change, as my late father used to put it, uh, it's rather like a play in the sense that the parts always remain the same, but the actors change. Mm-hmm. And that, it's, it's just the way it is. 
Well, I'm so excited to hear this. Uh, this program is going to be out every week, and that's starting in September. So we'll make sure we have links all over our uh, social media pages as well for that, Charles. So, hey, it's uh, been uh, actually it was late 2021 since we last chatted, and the time flies fast. And uh, a lot has happened in 2022. This has been uh, the year of uh, all kinds of surprises. I say some some are good, probably most aren't so good. But I wanted to ask wow. you real quick as, as a Canadian and uh, – and somewhat well, you have of course some roots in Canada as well with your your family, which is really cool. I think right at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, we're still kind of mired in this uh, this crazy virus nonsense uh, around the world and in North America in particular. Canada, we still have some hurdles we need to climb here as well. We're certainly not out of the woods yet here with uh, the government we had, but from your perspective in February and what you've seen, I guess since. We had the Truckers Freedom Convoy <laughs> converge on Ottawa. And uh, depending on who you ask, they call it an occupation, uh, which was interesting considering they were bringing bouncy cancels for the kids and uh, and uh, hot tubs uh, to uh, to soak in. Uh, it looked a lot like an Antifa rally, I think, right, Charles? Or a Black Lives Matter rally? I think that's what they bring too, don't they? But what were your, well, what were your thoughts well, on that convoy and, and where we're at in the world today after that uh, Really, you know, it was, it was out of character for Canadians to, to go to those kind of extremes when it comes to protest, but it was something I thought was quite encouraging. What were your thoughts? Well, it's because they were pushed. I mean, the, the thing you've got to bear in mind about the rulership in all the so-called democracies across the globe is that they are so arrogant. They are so completely full of themselves, so uncaring about their subjects except as uh, cows to be milked on the one hand. And on the other hand, they're very ignorant. You'll notice that when they try to justify themselves and they cite law or whatever, they don't know what they're talking about. They babble. Now, mind you, my own Vice President Kamala Harris is the, the queen of the content-free speech, but she's just the best at it. Uh, your, your little Justine, uh, up there in uh, in Ottawa, uh, Nehammer here in, in Austria, uh, Macron in France, they're all masters or mistresses of content-free speech, and they babble. And then they say, you see, so that's why it is. And that's why you've got to go along with it. Wait a minute. You, you haven't really said anything. You haven't proved anything. You haven't backed anything up. You're just telling me, I'm in charge. You're not. You'll do as you're told, moron. Which, if they put it that way, I couldn't argue. They are in charge. They do have the power. So let's accept it. Let's say that. I own you. You'll do as you're told. Got it? Bark like a dog now. Bark like a dog. Which would be much more honest. But because they can't be honest, they are the people of the lie. Uh, you know... Long, long ago, when I was a boy, and Roe v. Wade came in, you've got to understand that back in those days, the vast majority of Americans understood that abortion was murder. There was no question. And whenever you would see abortions portrayed on television or in movies or whatever, they were always these filthy, scummy, criminal people. I mean, think of the abortionists in What's It All About, Alfie, you know. Or Alfie, rather, not the song, the movie, Alfie. Uh, that was how they were always portrayed, because that's how they were. Scummy criminals, kind of like now. Anyway, so 
we have Roe v. Wade. Everything changes. And I said to my father, I said, Dad, I called him that because he was my father. It was an old family custom. I said, Dad, it seems to me that we're ruled by evil men. And my father said, well, it seems that way to you, son, because we're ruled by evil men. And that was very reassuring. Uh, and I said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, well, we're going to do what people have always done when they're ruled by evil men, the best we can. Hmm. They're in charge. We're not. So we have to try to avoid being part of their evil, work against it if how and as we can, and keep living. Well, the years went by. And I guess in college, it was under uh, President Carter that I came to realize, because remember, nothing is static. Even the nature of ruling elites isn't static. They, they change. They grow. They, 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 like the rest of us. You're not the man your father was. You may be better, you may be worse, but you're not him. Your son isn't going to be you, etc., etc. Um, or in a less hereditary manner, whoever replaces you at the helm of your company, say, is not going to be who you were. You may be in an influence on them, etc., but they'll be different. All right. So long about the time that Mr. Carter was president and the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, he got on television and he said, Leonid lied to me. And he looked like he was going to burst into tears. I didn't know if I wanted to hug him or hit him. But I looked at that and I realized, well, our elites are no longer just evil. They're also insane. And by insane, what I mean is the visions that dance in their heads are more real to them than their own, than their own self-interest. Uh, so that, as an example, one of my favorites on the Eastern Front, in World War II, the Nazis were more interested in them pushing their racial policies than they were in defeating the Soviet Union. Similarly, uh, our current leadership are more interested in having women in combat than in winning battles. That's insane. That's nuts. That's the way a leadership goes mad. For Mr. Carter, the fact that he had hugged Leonid Brezhnev was more real to him than the fact that Mr. Brezhnev was a communist who was ruthless. And so he was truly upset when Leonid lied to him. But that's insane, of course. All right, time moved on. And in Mr. Obama's time, I came to realize, well, yeah, they're still evil, they're still insane. But now there's a third element. They're stupid. And by stupid, I'm not just firing insults. I've got a very specific meaning for the word stupid. Stupidity is the marriage of ignorance and arrogance. You know, if you're ignorant, but you're humble, you can learn. And if you're brilliant, but arrogant, well, it's annoying, but you can see why. <laughs> you, you actually, you're really good at what you do. You've got a track record. You've accomplished stuff. And yeah, it's a bit annoying that your nose is up in the air, but I'll tolerate it for the sake of what it is you're able to accomplish. But you see, when you're ignorant and arrogant, when you're stupid, you can't learn anything and you can't accomplish anything, but you can make things even worse. Because you see, if you're just evil, as long as we can figure out where you think your self-interest lies, we know how you're going to behave. 
they'll be ruthless, they'll be nasty, but we see what you're going to go for. When you're insane, if we can figure out your mania, then we can get a handle on how you're going to act. You know, you think you're Napoleon, so probably we don't want to say anything pro-English around here. But stupid, there's nothing you can do. Stupid is stupid. Stupid is Justine Trudeau uh, invoking the Insurrection Act against the truckers. That's just bloody stupid. And it it it, it wrecks the Insurrection Act. It wrecks. And one of the things that's that's hit me in recent uh, months about the whole COVID reaction around the globe. What are we going to do if we ever do get a black plague? What are we going to do now that the that the the supposed shepherds have cried wolf? What's going to happen the next time? No one's going to believe them. Yeah, and I have a feeling there there will be a next time of some sort, Charles. It'll probably come a lot sooner than we think. Well, this is what history tells us. These things happen. Um, you know, and this is a little bit a little bit away, but it's worth thinking about. Uh, the late, great Ray Bradbury, whom I had the pleasure of knowing somewhat, uh, the first time I ever met him was at a lecture he gave um, when I was 16, 15, something like that, uh, at uh, Hollywood High, actually. And one of the things he said was how he had been commissioned to uh, do a new script for the movie The Bluebird, which starred Shirley Temple. But he read the he read the Bluebird, he read the script for the 1940 film, and he said, "I can't do it." The reason is that there's been a revolution in healthcare, you might say. When he was young, everybody had dead brothers and sisters. He himself, he had lost a uh, a, a sister who died of diphtheria, I think, or something like that, and a brother who died in the pandemic in 1918 before he came along. And every Sunday, they would go to the cemetery and look at their graves. And lots of people did that. Well, that's not a part of our lives anymore. Mm. Mm. We are not used, uh, for the most part, to having half of our brothers and sisters dead before we reach maturity. We're not used to that. Um, it's a different world. So if that ever comes to us again, it's going to be very hard for us to deal with it. And death uh, is such a, a big part of people's lives. You're right. Even my my mom, growing up on the prairies of Saskatchewan, uh, had one of her little sisters pass away, um, yeah. about a year old. And I said, well, "What happened?" She said, "All I remember is she just she, she started coughing and a couple of days, and then mom and dad came out and said uh, your little sister passed away." And there was there was a sorrow and a sadness, but there was also the you know we've got to take care of the funeral, but we've got to move on because it's winter's coming around the corner and. Uh, you know, we're not watching Sunday night baseball here uh, or Saturday no. night hockey, hockey night in Canada. We're not, you know, we're, we're in survival mode here, right? So an, an interesting point, Charles, for sure. Sin darkens the intellect, doesn't it? Doesn't it, it, Sin makes you stupid. I mean, that's St. Well, uh, Augustine's it, uh, infamous words, right? So It, it does, and it builds on itself. Hmm. In other words, uh, the stupider you, you see, there, there comes a time when stupidity becomes willful. And that, that's the arrogance part, you see. You make yourself the measure of all things, but the problem is you're not. You know, 
you 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 years and years ago when i was uh, in a fraternity i met a girl at a frat party a very pretty girl and i was chatting with her now mind you what she said was peculiarly la i have to admit but it certainly sums up the mindset of our owners and masters in the modern world um I told her about something or other, and I don't even remember what it was, but it's a response that sticks in my head. She said, and I quote, oh, if that were important, I'd have heard about it. And I thought, yeah, that's right, honey. You betcha. <laughs> you, you, yep. I have no doubt. If that were important, you would have heard about it. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, that's the kind of uh, person that rules us today. Hmm. That's what little Justine Trudeau is, you know, the little tat man who uh, manages to combine his uh, father's morals with his mother's brains. Yeah. I mean that in the nicest no. way possible. Hard to argue that. Uh, I think the, like the, well, the proof, I, is, the proof know, is in the pudding. I, I'm old enough to remember Trudeau mania. Mm-hmm. But see, the good part of that is that I'm also old enough to remember when uh, old Vanier was the governor general of Canada. Right. And there was an example of the finest kind of man Canada could produce. Yes. Uh, you know, just as a funny aside that has nothing to do with anything, but it shows you what a little bit of knowledge can do for you. Many, you know, there was an actor once upon a time named Raymond Massey, who yes. uh, was great fond, a uh, great fan of his work, very old time actor. Well, many, many years ago, I must have been about 23 or four, I was sitting at the Polo Lounge at the fabulous Beverly Hills Hotel. And my favorite waiter, Julius, was an Hungarian refugee was also Raymond Massey's favorite waiter, as it turned out. So he comes up to me and he says, would you like to meet Raymond Massey? And I said, yeah, I'll say. So he takes you over and I'm thinking, what can I say to this guy that he's never heard before? You know, loved you in Manchurian Candidate? No, I don't think so. When you're going to meet a celebrity, you want to come up with something that nobody else would say. So I came up to him, we're introduced, and I said, Mr. Massey, your brother was one of the best governors general Canada ever had. And he looked at me and his eyes went wide and he said, young man, no one in this godforsaken hole has ever congratulated <laughs> me on my brother before. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> that is solid. That is good. A little bit of knowledge, ladies and gentlemen, always helps. But 100%. I say that because Canada has produced some really, really great figures, both French and, you know, the other people. Uh, Anglo, Anglo, I meant. I didn't want to, you know, don't want to re- reopen old wounds. No, <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, th- that's why it's almost more of a pain for me seeing something like Trudeau lurking in power in Ottawa than it is to see uh, Sleepy Joe and uh, Madame Pompadour in the White House. Now, I say that, what? I what? Love, I love oh, Kamala Harris? It, I, I think yeah. I pronounced her first name correctly, right? Yeah, I just want to make sure our Canadian listeners know who you're talking about. But I, yeah, know, well, I knew who you were talking about. But look, <laughs> President Hindenburg, <laughs> President Hindenburg, I mean Biden, uh, he's living proof that senility in public office is no bar to helping the public. Oh, boy. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and contrary-wise, Madame, uh, Madame Kamala having gotten her start as the uh, mayor of San Francisco's squeeze, you know, who is it to say that you can't grow up to become vice president? 
Amazing. Why should morals or brains stand in the way of a public servant? Exactly. But Squeezing on a certain the right people. level. That's what we need to do. That's, <laughs> exactly. It worked out good for squeeze. her. And and look, as, as a consolation prize for his dumping her, she got Attorney General of California. So, you know, they, they, they were part of his friends. What more can you say? But honestly, that's almost, I say almost, not as bad as the Queen's First Minister for Canada being such a joke compared to the, the, his predecessors. Some of them, anyway. I mean, his father, obviously, was his uh, capital zero. But um, and Lester Pearson, well, what's wrong with having a Soviet spy as your prime minister? But, but, no, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I don't, I don't want to judge. But, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, uh, everybody from uh, Sir John A. down to, uh, down to Diefenbaker. You had some pretty high-power individuals, you know. They weren't perfect. A lot state, of them. They're statesmen, as we would they were understand them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even William Lyons Mackenzie King, who, in my humble opinion, is responsible for a lot of uh, Canada's decline. Uh, and even though he got so much of his uh, information from seances, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. So did President Lincoln. But w- can we stop these nasty asides smacking historical characters in, in passing? Can we do that? Thank you. Anyway. Uh, it's no, a history lesson in itself, Charles. So it's <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it it is true. I mean, spiritualism played a large part in Lincoln White House and in uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King's. Uh, it's like driving the, the the rodeo drive of history right now. We're just you know yeah. smacking people <laughs> upside the head. Just smack them along. Move on. Move on. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. You've all got homes to go to. Move along. Yeah, fancy but, yeah, but, ser- but ser- seriously, uh, to see Canada in the hands of these midgets, it- it's painful. And the same, mm. I mean, the same with each of the provinces. You look at Quebec, I mean, the, the jaw drops, you know. Uh, and yes, I'm one of those who think Duplessis was a great man, so live with it. Um uh, it's it's just astonishingly sad. People people forget that the Quiet Revolution did not just gut French Canada; it actually gutted Anglo Canada as well. And that's something people don't think about a lot. But it it destroyed in both the French and the Anglo Canadians their pride of self, their their pride in what their fathers had accomplished, hmm. and it made them weenies, silly little weenies like Justine Trudeau. Which is probably why little Justine gets elected constantly. Only a weenie could vote for a weenie. It seems like uh, you know the, the state of political affairs in Canada has really caught the church off guard. We're just not prepared to take this on, are we? Like, I mean, in the church in, in Canada, and, and I know it's it's not a problem that's unique to Canada. It's just that uh, it's you know, not. But every we're, every we're struggling country, with our faith here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, every country deals with it its own way, and I think. Part of Canada's problem, if I may put it this way, is that it was blessed for so long with say, with decent government. Because the United States, uh, because of the nature of our birth in our first civil war, uh, because of the nature of the second civil war, because of so many things that went on before them, there is an inborn suspicion 
of government that is easily roused by anything. Now, that has its benefits. It has its downside. Similarly, in Canada, because they were on the other side in the, uh, in the first civil war, the Anglo-Canadians and the French-Canadians, um, it's given them a love of government and order that, again, has its positive side and its negative side. I think the problem in both cases is when these are seen as ends in themselves. In other words, put this another way, it's like censorship. If someone says, I'm for it or I'm against it, they're being silly. The question is not, is censorship good or bad? The question is, what are we censoring? Hmm. That's the question. Censorship per se is a tool. It's not. It's a means. It's not an end. So similarly, both the American suspicion of government and the Canadian embrace of governance ought not to be ends in themselves, but means to an end. What is the end? Well, the end is good governance. Not strong government, not weak government. But depending on your, on your situation at a given time, it may be that what's required is obedience to governance. It may be that what's required is rebellion. But that, those are neither of those are ends in themselves. And I think the problem for both sides is that culturally, they've become that way. Mm-hmm. We Americans embrace rebellion as a good, just as Canadians have tended to embrace submission as a good. Mm. But neither is true. Submission to what? Rebellion against what? As as similarly, when you say you're for free speech, well, are you really? Um, it may be that you find uh, it terrible that someone's uh, expression of their religious beliefs is a terrible thing, but you don't have a problem with shutting up someone who denies the Holocaust. Well, I'm not arguing you to, whether you're right or wrong. What I'm saying is you're not in favor of free speech. Because that too is a means to an end. Hmm. Uh, the 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 thing that uh, they always use is the the limit of free speech is shouting fire in a crowded theater. Who has the right to do that? The answer is nobody. Mm-hmm. So I mention all these things because one of the this universal, this world crisis has done is it has shown us in stark relief, not just the nature of each of our worthless ruling classes, but also our national characters and how they tend to react. In France, uh, rebellion that makes you feel good but doesn't really go anywhere, uh, which unfortunately has been the lot of our friends, the Yellow Vests. Uh, Certainly, it's made people feel a lot better, but it hasn't uh, put Macron out of office. Well, and I think that's the you know the concern here in Canada. That's uh, you know you, you try to you try to do something, uh, you try to to fight back in the best way you can, and then you get uh, Justin Trudeau forming a coalition with the New Democrats, the the true true socialists. Uh, they're communist light. What can you say? They just look in their policies. That's what they are, and they they get together and. You know, nobody even in their own party, Charles, voted for uh, any kind of coalition, but they still managed to do it, and now they can hold power for three years if they want to. Yeah. 
So well, yeah. and the uh, the fact too that the Canadian Tories have not been Tories, you know, which is the same in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no doubt. Now, mind you, it could well be that a sufficient number of the populace really are sufficiently corrupt that they're happy with what they've got. In which case, much joy may it bring them. Because if things continue as they are, we will hit rock bottom. And believe me when I tell you, we don't want to see that. We've seen it in the third world. We don't really need it in the States or in Canada or in Europe. But if things continue, this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I can't give you a, I can't give you a, uh, you know, a date or a time, but it will, and it won't be fun. You see, the sooner this is stopped, the sooner this downward uh, circling the toilet drain ends, the more will be saved. If I go on a rampage through your house and I'm breaking everything. If you stop me in the entry hall, then everything else in the house will be fine. If you stop me when I've when I've smashed half the things in the living room, well then I haven't smashed the other half. If I do the whole living room, but you stop me before I get to the bedrooms, well then you get the idea. The sooner this is stopped, the more of what we love about our respective cultures and civilizations and nations will be rescued. The longer it takes, the more our our successors will have to uh, start from scratch. That's why I call the the Catholic Church in Canada the the embattled church, Charles, because <laughs> you know we we um, we were already in a bad spot before this whole virus thing came, and then last year, as you know, and we'll well unless somebody's living under a rock, you know what happened last summer with the this whole residential schools and these mass graves genocide story comes out uh, politicians fanning the flames of really hatred towards Catholics all Catholics indigenous and non-indigenous yep. and we saw their churches burned to the ground graffitied um, acts of, of anti-Catholic bigotry running rampant across all of Canada uh, without any opposition at all even from from leadership gotta say it I mean it is what it is well, no, there wasn't much there no. right so we'll see again Little Justine and his gang are stupid people, arrogant and ignorant. And they wanted to be with the winners. They wanted to be, you know, whatever it is they want to be. And that, again, that has to stop. Life must become unpleasant for politicians who cotton to that kind of thing. Um, and the best way to make their lives unpleasant is A, to vote no. <laughs> Vote about, vote, vote, vote. But beyond that, to ask damaging questions. You know, the, you do still have a press of kind of some sort. You do still have a media. Um, you've got to exploit it to the full. Problem with our uh, media in Canada, Charles, is that most of it is federally uh, subsidized by the government. And that, so, and that, that in itself, to the problem. degree, to the, let's put it this way. Do do you have to pay a fee to get your CBC uh, uh, television programming? No, it's uh, I mean you know people have standard cable packages and it comes on you know basically it's a a generic plan or a package that you would get uh, uh, if you still have radios it's uh, you know the AM radio has always got CBC on there so no it's not a paid subscription yet because it's so it's supported by the government and therefore by the taxpayers so <laughs> it'd be like double dipping. <sighs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It's it's pretty it's pretty obnoxious, I must say. Uh, 
But uh, the first thing you've got to do also is is see to your neighbors, see to your friends, form whatever kind of block you can form in the neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> but uh, and of course you've got to educate yourself. Um, you can't let these assertions go unchallenged. The well, they yeah. turned out the whole residential school thing. Those graveyards were, were hoaxes. Yes. So basically, your little premier there sitting in Ottawa, he has to. It has to be demanded from him. And, and if everybody listening to this emailed him or wrote him and demanded to know why, he backed. He tacitly backed the burning of Catholic churches on the basis of something that never happened. How would he like it if someone burned his house uh, because uh, his father uh, was a Martian? How would he like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I read it in the Inquirer. Uh, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was from Mars, and uh, little Justine is a human hybrid. Now, how would he enjoy having his home burned down on the basis of a complete lie. Well, and and you know what? That's the. Um, I feel badly for a lot of folks that I know that work for or work with the the church in Canada because the Pope comes on his visit a few weeks ago, and and um, you know what? Justin again demanding that Pope Francis comes or Pope comes and shows up, and and Pope Francis does come. Which I think uh, it seems to undermine the efforts that the church has already made from apologies from the Oblates, from visits from the Pope John Paul II, uh, an apology by Pope Benedict. Uh, that seems to undermine everything that was done before. But anyways, well, the, I, I the premise of him coming, Charles, was like you said, there was mass graves. Um, uh, you know, the, the, talk, the talk of genocide, the talk of murders. Uh, and we're finding out now that these, yeah, this is not true. This is, um, this it's is a lie. Problem. Yes. It's a lie. Let's say it. It is a lie. Right. L I E. The damage is done, right, Charles? The, that the was damage the whole point is done. Was to, to the damage damage is, the Catholic Church. It, the, the damage is done, but it has to be responded to quite as strongly as it was oozing out of the lips of the morons that oozed it. Hmm. You've got to be very, very forthright. Un-Canadian, if you will. Because, you see, this is not a question of dealing with uh, someone like the great Laurier, who was a liberal and uh, sometimes misguided. We're dealing with people who have no regard for truth, for God, for man. They're all about themselves. And so it's to themselves and only to themselves that these things have to be directed. They are liars, they're the father of the devil, who was a liar from the beginning, and a murderer as well. And while we're talking about genocide, I wonder what the proportion of First Nations fetoi that are murdered in abortion are, hmm. as opposed to those of other races. Do we want to talk about that? Do we want to talk about the place of eugenics in abortion? Do we want to talk about that? Do we want to expand the conversation? Hmm? Do we want to talk about the structures of power? To keep this kind of garbage going. No, I don't think we do, do we? Well, we have to. We must. I, I will say, too, that, uh, you know, as far as the Holy Father uh, undermining the church in Canada the way he did, well, he does it for everybody. The Chinese, I mean, you know, it's what he does. He's a modern person. 
well, all right, he's not really modern. He's a creature of his generation. But still, undermining what's established makes them feel good about themselves and gives them the illusion that they're still alive. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful illusion. I speak as a boomer. It's wonderful to feel real. Uh, the fact that, as a rule, we're not is another story. Uh, I thought it was fun that genocide came up. To be fair, uh, the Holy Father should be something of an expert on genocide. And I mention this because Argentina, where he comes from, uh, has been up until relatively recently constitutionally a Catholic country. But of course, in reality, you would have governments that were more Catholic than others. You'd have basically a a pro-Catholic party and an anti-clerical party. And they would trade places. Usually you could tell who was in power by whether or not divorce was legal. As you look through the uh, 19th and 20th century, when the Catholic Party were in power, divorce was outlawed. When the anti-clericals would come, well, divorce would come back. That was sort of the way it was. Well, during the 1880s, um, an interesting thing happened. The anti-clericals were in power. And at that time, Patagonia, which is the southernmost part of Chile and Argentina, was not yet settled. It was still pretty much Indian country. And the uh, Patagonian Indians were very, very tall people. Seven to eight feet was not unknown among them. And they were really tough. These were not people we wanted to mess with. Interestingly enough, St. John Bosco had a dream in the early 1870s about the Patagonians. So he sent a group of Salesians to evangelize, and they had a good deal of success. But then, in the 1880s, the anti-clerical Argentine government unleashed a genocide against the Patagonians. And they destroyed them. They decimated them. They're practically extinct today. So I'm sure that the Holy Father had that in mind. Uh, I'm, I'm just as sure he didn't say anything about it because it's Argentina's dirty little secret. They don't like to talk about it. I don't blame them. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, trying to come up with the best possible reading of the, po- of the Pope's behavior on the Canadian trip, I suppose, not being a great thinker nor a great historian, he probably took at face value the drivel that's going around Canada right now and equivalent and made it, you know, identified it with his own country's genocidal history against the Indians. And bear in mind, it was not that long ago. When he was growing up, he would have known people who participated in the uh, in the genocide in Argentina. So it could very well be that that was a formative influence on it. I don't know. We don't talk much anymore. Yeah, when I think about the uh, <laughs> when I think about uh, you know the, the Pope's visit, and I, again, I I want to make sure that you know it's clear that our, our our leaders in Canada have a responsibility too to to say it like it is. I mean, whether it's Pope Francis or any Pope, there's the Church is a big church. There's a lot going on. He relies on cardinals, bishops, the hierarchy to keep him abreast of what's going on. But yeah, why would they do that? Well, that, that's exactly that's, right. I mean, that's so. Uh, here, here's what I, I wanted to ask. I want to make sure that we got we got this uh, some thoughts from you on this, Charles, because a lot of people are talking about this. Of course, now that the Pope's gone, and of course, you know, this legacy media and, and 
some politicians and members of certain communities saying the apology wasn't enough. Well, we've heard this before, so I'm sure this will be like a merry-go-round. We'll probably have to go through this again unless, unless like you said, if, Catholics say stop, right? What it's, is the it's doctrine? It's very simple. Have the Holy Father disembowel himself uh, at the Peace Tower, and then it'll be, then it'll be okay. <laughs> there you go. Is, is that enough is, for them? Probably is not. Is that enough now? What what is the the doctrine of discovery? This is the first time I've ever I've really heard of this. Um, of course, this is not coming up because yeah, whatever. Some that's no, not enough. I think we've got to, you know, it's got to be more public shaming of of Catholics that had nothing to do with any of this, uh, these residential schools. But what what is what does this mean? This is from back the sixteenth, fifteenth century. What what in the world is going on here, well, Charles? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say a few things which might hurt some of the uh, uh, worthless academics in the audience, and I, I apologize in advance if if they feel the need to go to a safe space. They haven't sponsored and, the podcast yet, Charles, so it's all good. Oh, well, all right. Brought, <laughs> brought to you by McGill University. Uh, the, uh, don't, don't hold your breath on that one. Uh, no, the thing is that in the uh, a big part of the reason for the French, Spanish, and Portuguese explorers coming to the New World was to bring the Catholic faith. Uh, now there were other reasons, which weren't as wonderful. But the first thing you've got to remember before you even get there is what the Americas were like before the Europeans came. They were not a nice place. Uh, we all know, of course, about the Aztecs and their uh, heart ceremonies, of course. But Canadian Indians did not interact very well with each other. They didn't play well with their neighbors. We know, for instance, that when Katsier came to uh, came to Quebec in the 1500s, uh, the area around Quebec and Montreal was uh, inhabited by Iroquoian-speaking peoples. But Champlain comes... 70 years later, they're all gone. They've been driven out by the Algonquin and Algonquin-speaking peoples. Well, believe me when I tell you that that could not have been done peacefully. Not at all. Then, contrary-wise, Champlain sets up shop. The Iroquois are uh, having problems with the Algonquin. And the Algonquin, who had been very helpful to Champlain, asked for their help against the Iroquois, which he gives. And that was the beginning of the long and ultimately ruinous uh, strife between the French and the Iroquois. Because the, basically the French took on all of the enemies of their Indian allies. And that was, that was as true with their Algonquin allies against the Iroquois as it was with their Choctaw and Chickasaw allies against Cherokee, way down in the south. It's just the way it was. Now, these peoples had been slaughtering each other for years. Becoming a man, counting coup, meant you killed members of other tribes. It's just the way it was. They were a warrior people. I mean, centuries later, when the uh, American army was trying to uh, secure the Great Plains, they called the Comanche and uh, Sioux uh, warriors 
the finest light cavalry the world had ever seen. And they were true. They're, they're, they're absolutely correct. But that level of militance came at a certain price in what we would call the civilized values. It made them very, we would consider them very cruel. If you look at what was done by the uh, Mohawk to the, uh, to the French martyrs, it was horrible. You know, and it wasn't as though the horrors they went through had been invented for their benefit. They were standard practice. They went through, with the exception of the cutting off the fingers so they couldn't say mass, that, that was specific to them. But other than that, all the cruelties they went through were what their Indian captives would go through and always had. And contrary wise, if before the uh, missionaries came, if you were a Mohawk captured by the Huron, <laughs> well, you'd get to enjoy what you would give out. And again, being a man was being able to withstand this stuff. And if you could withstand it and you survived it, you very often would be adopted into the tribe who had captured you. And you would accept that adoption and give up your loyalties to your tribe of birth. You know, it's a very different way of looking at things than uh, Europeans have, including European liberals. Uh, mutatis mutandis. It's like with the Japanese during World War II. The reason why they were so horrible to our POWs was because, in according to their lights, if you allowed yourself to be captured by the enemy, you were actually a traitor to your own country. That's why thousands of them, faced with capture during the war, killed themselves instead. And that was why they treated anybody they captured like garbage. Because as they, in a sense, they thought they were as much doing the enemy a favor as themselves. Because these people, having allowed themselves to be captured, have betrayed their own countries. Hmm. You see, this is what the little morons that we have yapping all the time don't understand. The difference that our religion has made to our culture. Hmm. We yes. don't look at things the way the rest of the world does. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when the issue of slavery comes up, it has to be borne in mind that the minor kings of the west coast of Africa um, had been had been in a state of continuous war with each other for centuries for the express purpose, not of counting coup like our Indians would do, but of capturing people to enslave to sell. This was the way it was done. And as many people as you could capture, you would sell in the north. You'd send big caravans full uh, to North Africa. You'd sell them to the Arabs. And that was the way it was until the late 1400s. And the Tuaregs came along. They revolted. They cut the caravan routes to North Africa. And all of a sudden, the little minor kings of the West Coast had a ton of human cargo they couldn't sell. And then the gods of commerce smiled, and the white sails of the European emerged. And so they said, boy, we got a deal for you. You got stuff we want, and we got free labor. And so slavery was reintroduced into a Europe that hadn't known it for over 500 years. Hmm. So it... it you, might, you might very well say, in a sense, that the free labor of slavery was a sort of drug and the little kings of the West Coast were the pushers. Uh, you could look at these things in many different ways, but the point I'm making is we're reading, we read ourselves into these historical stories. 
and were the last people to do it. Um, Thomas Jefferson regarded the American Indians of his personal knowledge in Virginia as savages because they committed abortion. Hmm. Now, again, differing times and places have differing points of view. We're wonderful and holy, and we murder our infants quite regularly. That's good to hear. We're very well set up to be judges of morality. Hmm. The truth is, we moderns are rather like the madam of a bordello who's utterly outraged that some of the girls might be smoking after work. You know, oh, I know what those broads are doing. I know what they do. As soon as they're finished with work, they go outside and they smoke. I can smell the smoke. Uh, madam, madam, that's nice. Do you know what kind of a business you run? Yeah, so? What's your problem? That is the modern mouth. Uh, mind, I mean. The two are hard to separate from each other. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear this sort of stuff from the media, from politicians, from other kinds of trash like that, you have to bear in mind that they really don't know anything that they're talking about. You look at what uh, what happened with the uh, the uh, evangelization of the New World. I'll tell you what happened. Look at Paraguay. Look at the Canadian West. Look at California. I'll tell you what happened. What happened was that you had people rescued from uh, misery in this world and hell in the next. That's what you had. Mm-hmm. We, of course, are just the opposite. We try to give hell in the next and misery in this world. Not my idea of evangelization, but hey, that's just me. Mm-hmm. So the thing you've got to the, the thing you've got to basically start out with is everything they say is a lie, <laughs> and even when it's partly true, it's twisted. The only thing worse than uh, an out-and-out lie is a half-truth. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, in Canada and California, uh, I think are very similar in a lot of ways, too, that the Catholic Church has had a massive influence on both places. California is, is interesting because, you know, some people just don't realize, but they have the same amount of population just in California the state as we do in all of Canada. Um, that's true but you know it's it's really interesting you know you even go throughout alberta charles and you see the names of our cities and our towns are all named after saints after priests that have come here and done heroic virtuous things to to bring the faith to our province uh, of course california i mean look at every every major city has got something to do with jesus christ and the catholic church whether it's a saint it's, or the, the sacramento the calif the the capital of california Named after the Blessed Sacrament. Um, That's true. We're, yeah, the, um, the 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 rebellion against the Catholic Church, against Catholicism. It's it's hard it's hard to kind of wrap your head around as a Catholic because you you want. I think we're all as Catholics as baptized Catholics that are living a sacramental life. You want to go out and evangelize people, and yeah. uh, when people just ignore history or twist it, call it a half truth, just like you said, these are all lies. Uh, boy, there's there's nothing that uh, it's, it hinders our evangelization efforts so much, doesn't it, Charles? Well, it does, but you've got to bear something else in mind. It's not just about what we say and what we do. It's also about the goodwill in the uh, the goodwill in people. Because if someone really wants the truth, 
God will get him the truth. It might be through you or me. It might be through an angel. It might be through his own reading. It might be through the occurrences in his life. You know, my uh, last two but one godsons were both adults. One was an Israeli convert from Judaism, and the other a uh, uh, Bengali convert, or Indian Bengali convert from uh, Hinduism. And the way in which those two came to the faith, uh, both of them are rather epic stories. And that sort of thing is happening all the time. We don't hear it in the news. You know, a little Justin Trudeau and her entourage running around there in Ottawa and their uh, cut-rate equivalents of the provincial capitals, they, uh, they wouldn't be into this kind of thing. They wouldn't understand it. I'm going to be going to a um, men's Latin mass retreat in Denmark uh, in September. I went, to, I went to the inaugural one last year, and there were about 35 guys there, uh, all except for a couple of them, they were 35 or younger, half of them married, half of them single, all converts, all converts in Danish, Lutheran, post-Lutheran Denmark. And the same thing is happening in Sweden and Norway. Things are happening that are below our radar, which is probably just as well, because our lords and masters would shoot it down if they could. So the other thing we have to remember, no matter how frustrated we get, no matter how headachey we might get over everything, is that God is still in charge. He is still bringing the truth and the sacraments to those who want it. Uh, the church will never, ever, ever fail until the world ends. But it can fail in this country or that country. That we look at the sands of Tunisia and think this was the Church of St. Augustine. Mm. We should remember that. Um, but above all, we mustn't give the benefit of the doubt to our masters in government, academia, and media. Uh, we should pray for them. We should pray for the, your prime minister the way you pray for the queen. Uh, the way you pray for the Pope. The one important reason to do that is so that you don't hate them. What we see is far from the whole of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so each of us in the sphere that we're in have to try to do the best we can with what's shoved at us. Uh, don't be afraid to evangelize, even if you don't think much of your Pope or your Bishop. Because you know what? But he's still bringing Christ down onto the altar. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what, uh, Charles? I, I got a million things I can talk to you about. I appreciate your time. I know I'm getting, I'm cutting into your uh, probably uh, some sleep time for you because you're eight hours ahead of me. But I, I really appreciate uh, appreciate your time. I did want to ask you this one thing, and I I'm not one of sure. those guys that uh, you know really dwells on the end end times very much, just because I it could happen to any of us, our own uh, prudential judgment at any time. So whether yeah. the end of the world is next week, we could be called out of this life tonight. So it doesn't, I don't think about it too much. However, I, I have talked to a lot of people in the last year or two that said, you know, we just, we can see the sign of the times. We see the church where it was a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. We can see that decline, you know, and 
Uh, I think it's it, it's concerning for a lot of people, but I really think you hit the nail on the head there, Charles, and you said, don't stop evangelizing. So um, what is the the fuel for evangelization for Catholics? It's the sacramental life, isn't it, Charles? So I wanted to ask you, and, and maybe you can leave us on this, is what does a frequent confession mean to you, a frequent receiving of the Holy of Holy Communion worthily? What does that mean to you, and, and how can that change uh, the Catholic Church, us as individuals, so that we can be that beacon of light to other people? You remember the Lord of the Rings? Yes, absolutely, yep. Mm-hmm. They remember Lembas, the way bread of the elves. Mm-hmm. Yes. He said the more you relied on it, as opposed to other foods, the more mm. it strengthened the will and so on. Well, that was mm. actually a uh, symbol of the Eucharist. Right. Um, you go to confession frequently so you can receive the Eucharist frequently and worthily. Uh, and if you can do it daily, so much the better. A weekly confession and a daily communion is the thing to aim for, in my humble opinion. Um, because it gives you an immediate connection to the world beyond. Remember that all this stuff we've been discussing, if we make it to heaven, it'll all be a bad dream. Mm-hmm. And then we, in turn, will be in a position to intercede for the people we leave behind. Uh, that's an important thing to bear in mind. We'll be in, even, in a much bigger and better position to help out the world then than we are now. And we'll understand things a lot better than we do now. Um, But there's more to it. And that is one of the easiest methods of evangelizing and most pleasant is if you try to live your life according to the liturgical year and you plan your celebrations around it, uh, not just Christmas, which is obvious, but even there, if you try to avoid any, any Christmas stuff until the day and keep it going for the 12 days, and then, you know, somewhat until Candlemas. Uh, And you invite people to things after Christmas, uh, like to epiphany parties and that kind of thing. That that sticks in the head because you'll have to explain. You invite them, you make sure of throwing uh, parties for baptisms and confirmations and so forth. And you invite your non-Catholic friends. Believe me, you don't know a single Jewish person who would mind inviting you to his kid's bar mitzvah. Well, you need to do the same. You need to be, A, willing to really celebrate these things, and B, to invite the non-Catholics who are close to you to these things. Mm. Because it'll give you, it'll, you, if you have to, if you throw a party for your kid's first communion, invite a bunch of your non-Catholic friends, they're going to want to know what this is all about. So you get the chance to explain the Eucharist to them and what it means and so forth without without appearing to bang them over the head because they'll want to know the significance of it. Why why do you celebrate this? Confirmation, what's that about? May crownings, why are you doing that? Uh, the same with... The, the same with... Uh, if you're fortunate enough to, uh, to live in a parish that has Holy Week and Corpus Christi and or Christ the King processions. Invite your non-Catholic friends to see it. Hmm. Uh, for, if nothing else, for the beauty and picturesqueness of the thing. Same with, uh, you know, the, uh, the Triduum. I'll tell you, if you can, if you can manage to uh, keep everybody awake, 
there's nothing quite as exciting as the Holy Saturday vigil uh, liturgy. It's just, even in the Novus Ordo, it's very, very unusual and special. And explaining the dipping of the uh, Easter candle into the font, uh, it's really marvelous. Hmm. And they'll want to know because they'll see, like, wow, that's interesting. Why do you do that? They'll tell them. What mean ye by this service? Uh, you'll get to tell them what you mean by the service. So that is a method of evangelization I uh, cannot recommend too highly. Uh, at Halloween, turn the trick-or-treating into souling. By, uh, on the one hand, and this is something I've done for years, you put a little note with the uh, candy that you're giving out, uh, explaining that this traditionally, the candy was given in return for prayers for my dead which i now ask for you from you hmm. and then country wise if you have kids and they come home you don't let them eat the candy until you said a prayer for the dead of everybody they got candy from you turn trick-or-treating back into souling this is evangelization well a big thanks again to charles cologne for giving us a great hopeful message with uh, some laughs in between and really calling uh the the state of the world and the church uh, for what it is uh, we are in a crisis right now um, but uh, evangelizing all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is powerful. Uh, also was thinking a lot about what Charles was saying about how society and, and the Western civilization, we're getting close to hitting rock bottom. We, we already have hit rock bottom in several countries around this world. Look at this political unrest that we have. Even our own brothers and sisters here in Canada, there's been people that have hit rock bottom here as well. And when when are we the church you know, we talk about being the listening church here on the, the synod on synodality. When are we going to start to speak the truth? When are we going to be, be bold in proclaiming the gospel to others? Taking them out of a life of sin and uh, leading them to a life of virtue and a sacramental life. When are we going to be doing this? Think of rock bottom in a place like Sri Lanka where fuel prices have escalated to the point of uh, there's just chaos in the streets and politicians are being killed. Go to a place like Lebanon. Uh, there's a lot of great, uh, great Catholic brothers and sisters there that are living through a major crisis there financially uh, across the country. Hardworking, um, earning people that uh, have their savings in the bank. They can't get their money out of the bank. It's been frozen for years. Does that sound familiar, Canadians? Frozen bank accounts? Even a place like Panama, another poor country, just uh, keeps on getting poorer. Again, escalating prices on commodities and fuel. Uh, leading to to a major crisis for uh, for food for people in that country. Look at the Netherlands too. The, these Dutch farmers that are fighting back against this globalist agenda to cut back on fertilizer usage, even culling the herds of cattle here amongst one of our, our worst food crises, uh, food shortage crisis that we've had ever in the world. Where is this uh, coming from? Well, it's not coming from Jesus Christ. It is not coming from the kingdom of light or the gospels. It is coming from a nefarious force, and we need to fight that. And even here in our own country, we still have people struggling that uh, they're unemployed, have lost their livelihoods, their jobs, some of their savings, maybe even their house, all due to unjust COVID vaccine mandates. My brothers and sisters, have we not learned enough here in the last couple of years to know that there is something very nefarious about these mandates, these, these COVID mandates. 
Wake up, my brothers and sisters. Look at the poor around us, the cancel culture that silences them from us. They need our help. They need our support. So let's live that sacramental life. Let's go to confession because sin makes you stupid. And when you're in mortal sin, trust me, you become stupid. You don't think the way that Jesus wants you to think. You don't act the way that he wants us to. You don't say the words inspired by the Holy Spirit to others, to inspire others to have a relationship with Jesus Christ when you're in a state of mortal sin. So, you know what we've got to do in order to live that sacramental life and be a beacon of light to this world that is fast-hitting, rock-bottom. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ that we need to bring to everyone. Receiving the Eucharist worthily, praying the rosary every day, reading the scripture every day, learning about your faith. We've got a great faith. And uh, Jesus has given us the pen to write this chapter in the salvation, the history of salvation. And it's an exciting chapter. And there's going to be a lot of ups and there's even going to be some more downs. But at the end of the day, the cross of Jesus Christ will be victorious. Let's be on the right side of history. And thank you for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast. We're on Facebook, on Twitter. We're all over social media. Drop me a line anytime. Love to hear from you. And remember to keep praying for me as I pray for you as well in this uh, confusing time in the world, but a time where we're called to greatness. And I'm just so excited that you're along for the journey with me to eternal life. And let's go to confession often, everyone. We know how often. It's got to be every Lent, every Advent. And anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.